We have an expression which we use when someone shows up unexpectedly or when we meet <clears throat> someone we have wanted to meet or haven't met in a long time. We find ourselves saying, look who's here. <clears throat> That's my subject and I don't mean me and I don't mean you. You have the counterpart of it many times in the Bible, behold and lo, behold the Lamb of God, behold a greater than Jonas is here, behold I stand at the door and knock, behold I come quickly, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, lo I am with you all the days even unto the consummation of the age. Those are just a few samples. One thinks of the Israelites out in the wilderness pilgrims and strangers with Egypt behind them and the promised land ahead, tempted to despair and even rebellion, but God was with them. And on many a night a discouraged Hebrew could pull open the flap of his tent and look at the pillar of fire high in the sky and nudge his companion and say, we're all right. Look who's here. And then there was Daniel in the lion's den. We have the Rotary Club today and the Kiwanis Club and the Elks Club, but Daniel got in the Lions Club. <laughs> and uh, the strange thing is, he wasn't the one who had insomnia that night. It was King Darius who couldn't sleep. He was the ruler of a mighty empire, but he couldn't sleep. Lived in a magnificent palace, but he couldn't sleep. His bed was covered with the finest of tapestries, but he couldn't sleep. So he got up early and took off for the lion's den. When he got down there, he called down to Daniel and said, How are you doing? And Daniel said, Your Majesty, I am, uh, of course, I'm not translating strictly now, you understand. <clears throat> uh, you might as well have got your rest. We've had company here. In this den, God sent his angel and millennialized these lions. <clears throat> they couldn't do anything. And I just laid my head on the mane. One of them slept fine. You shouldn't have been hunting your Salmonex all night. I had help. Look who's here. And then we think of the three Hebrew children. This time it was Nebuchadnezzar who was bothered. And uh, you remember that they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they wouldn't burn. God kept them. <clears throat> and he looked in, he said something strange here, a threw in three and a C4. And they could have answered, look who's here. We've got company. God will keep you from the fiery furnace, or he'll keep you in the fiery furnace, whichever the case may be. And bring you out, as the record says here, without a smell of the smoke. I like that added note. The only thing that burned up was the cords with which they'd been bound, and there was not even the smell of the smoke. Now, what does that mean? Well, the trouble with some people who suffer a little for Jesus, you never hear the last of it. And uh, they need to be saved from the smell of the smoke so that they don't bother the rest of us. We've got enough troubles of our own. Just They ought to ask the Lord to take away that so they won't have to bother us with it. I was down in First Baptist uh, <clears throat> Atlanta with Dr. Stanley, and he had some difficulties 
problems that he was telling about back when he began the work there. And he had a wonderful picture in the study of Daniel the lion's den. And he said, the lady who gave it to him said, you'll notice, doctor, <clears throat> that Daniel is not looking at the lions. He's looking up. Then I think of Elijah on Carmel. It had a <clears throat> drought. It hadn't rained on the just or the unjust. And there was a confrontation on earth before there was ever any intervention from heaven. <coughs> Three and a half years of drought had created a crisis. And yet, a strange thing happened. Uh, the prophet repaired the altar and prepared the sacrifice because it's useless to expect fire from heaven when the altars have not been repaired and the sacrifice has not been prepared. And then Elijah did a very strange thing, poured 12 barrels of water all over the sacrifice. Now, remember, it hadn't rained in three and a half years. Water was a very scarce commodity, <clears throat> very precious, and it looked as though they were wasting it. But what Elijah was doing was to make clear to that crowd that no tricks were involved in what was about to happen. And it would take God from heaven to start a fire on that soggy sacrifice. And we have a lot of people today who want to build a little fire so God won't have so much trouble. We try to warm up the altar and help God out. Elijah wasn't for doing that. He drenched it. And I've said up and down this country, it's the drenched altar that God sets on fire. It's when you've done the best you can made all the repairing and all the preparing that you could do, then count your richest gain but loss and pour contempt on all your pride and say, Now, Lord, I've done all I know to do. Thank you. But nothing is going to happen unless God does it. That it will take. All our organization, all our study courses, all our committee meetings, if committee meetings would do it, it would have been done a long time ago. You know what a committee is? A group of the unfit appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. <clears throat> now, after we've had all of that, our richest gain, we don't have anything. I think we need one more committee in our churches today. We need a water pouring committee. After we've done it all, we think somebody's going to say, now nothing's going to happen yet unless God comes down from above. And it was when Elijah drenched the altar and then asked God to set fire to that sacrifice that the miracle happened. And if it hadn't, Elijah would have been the laughing stock of the whole country. He was on the spot, believe me. When we're prepared to be cold fools for God and risk everything on God, the fire falls. We're playing it safe today. That great black preacher from California, uh, Dr. Hill, says, God's not going to come down till you get into something. Daniel had to get in the lion's den. The Hebrew children had to get in the fiery furnace. God's not going to come down to some little meeting in a church basement, sipping hot chocolate and discussing the minutes of the last meeting. <laughs> Something's got to happen before God gets in the picture. But when he does, the doubting multitude will have to say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then I think of Isaiah. In the year that King Isaiah died... Now, that was a national calamity. He'd been a good king. He'd sought the Lord, and the Lord had prospered him. But it says when he was strong, not when he was weak, 
When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Paul was strong when he was weak, and Uzziah was weak when he was strong. And he usurped the office of priest, tried to offer incense in the temple. God struck him with leprosy, and he died in disgrace. And everybody was overwhelmed. I can just imagine people saying, my soul, if a good man like Uzziah could end up like that, what hope is there for the rest of us? But look, look what it says in the year that King Uzziah died, the year of the big minus. We lost somebody, the great one. I saw also. It was the year of the plus for Isaiah. Everybody else was talking about what we've lost. He said, I got something extra. I saw also the Lord. Uzziah's gone, but God's on his throne. And so if you ever get into something in life that's got a minus to it, remember, you can make a plus out of it. Make a bonus out of that minus, whatever it may be. Because God does just like that. And sometimes he has to send losses that bring us to a fresh experience of him. I think of Peter and John and the lame man. There was a lameness, there was a look, there was a lift, and there was a leap. And they represented somebody that he couldn't see, not that lame man. And they said, look on us. They didn't mean look on us, what great preachers we are. We represent somebody you can't see, but his name, through faith in his name, will change you so that you may have come in limping, but you'll go out leaping. And that's what God always does. I'm glad that Charles Wesley wrote a verse that I can't find in any of the hymnals today. I know that my Baptist hymnal doesn't have it, and I've been grumbling about that for quite a while. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. I don't know why we left that one out. I wonder if some Baptist was afraid they'd take that literally. But no one Baptist like I do, I don't think there's the slightest danger of anybody getting that too excited over. <laughs> Every meeting we hold ought to shout to the crowd, look who's here. Somebody's here you can't see. We're just his representatives. Not look at our church and listen to our choir and our preacher. How long's it been since you were in a meeting now when you came out feeling that you could describe it only one way? God was there. Now you can count the times on your hand, I think. In the last year, you've been to meetings aplenty, but what about that special sense of the presence of God? D.L. Moody had that, and an infidel went through one of his great campaigns trying to account for Moody because there wasn't any other way to explain D.L. Moody. Had no education. He uh, didn't even punctuate, didn't know how, and he started writing, and uh, it was pitiful, absolutely pitiful. Somebody says the only man that uh, could uh, preach without uh, any apparent sign of preparation, except this man said at the last service, he came up and said, Mr. Moody, I've been trying to account for you. And the only way I can explain it is, it must be God. That's the only way you account for him. It ought to be the only way you account for any of us. But today we have a lot of favorites. I remember Dr. Edmund saying at Winona Lake years ago, said, when I first began going to Bible conferences, I didn't want to speak to anybody when the meeting was over. I wanted to go to my room and pray. He said, now you go out and I say, well, how'd you like him? 
Somebody says, well, you, you, you wait till Dr. Thunderbolt comes next week. You haven't heard anybody yet. <laughs> Paul, Cephas, and Apollos, Lord, help us. I heard of a church where they had a picture of Jesus back of the pulpit. And uh, when the minister rose to speak, he always partially obscured that picture of Jesus. One morning, the minister was late getting into the pulpit. And a little girl asked her mother, Mama, where is the man who stands so you can't see Jesus? I'm afraid we can do that. You can stand in the pulpit and they don't see Jesus. You can stand teaching a Sunday school class and they don't see Jesus. Everything's got to be exciting today, fabulous and fantastic. Those are the two words. I don't know what we'd do today if we couldn't say fabulous and fantastic. But fabulous comes from fable and means it's not true. And fantastic comes from fantasy and means it's not real. So you're not saying anything after all when you've said all that. <laughs> but everything's got to be perfectly marvelous, you know, in our way of judging it. Oh, God, give us the kind of meetings today that will send people out saying there was one here that we saw not and yet we did see by the eye of faith. When Jesus was on earth, he stopped at Jacob's well and talked to a poor, wicked woman about the water of life and about where to worship. And she said, but the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw with. Now, she was right in the facts, but she was wrong in the conclusion. We so often are. She didn't know who was there. What difference would it make if the well was deep and they didn't have a bucket if standing there was the Son of God? And you realize that she did not get under conviction until Jesus named the sin in her life. We have those today who say when you preach. Finney had a sermon on how to preach so as to convert nobody. And he said, preach on sin, but don't name any of the sins of the congregation. Because uh, they'll go out saying sin's mighty bad, but they won't get bothered. They won't be sad, mad, or glad when they go out. But name something, that's what Jesus did. He had talked about the water of life, that's a good subject. He talked about where to worship, that's a good subject. She did not get under conviction. He said, go call thy husband. She'd had too many of them already. And that was the trouble. She went to her townspeople and said, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. It's not this to Christ. I don't believe in this new idea of don't name any sins lest you sort of separate the folks and make fo some folks mad and so on. They need to get mad or something over what's the matter with them. And Jesus certainly made this woman very uncomfortable, but she got saved. And there was Martha, Bethany, bless her heart. She must have got out on the wrong side of the bed that morning because she was in a bad mood. They'd sent a hurry call to Jesus to get down there quick. He whom thou lovest is sick. And the next verse says Jesus loved them. So he waited two days till he went down. Wouldn't you have thought he'd go post haste down there? Not in a hurry. He said this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. When he got down there, Martha said, if you'd been here, this wouldn't happen. Lord, have mercy. And then Jesus said, thy brother will rise again. She said, I know he'll rise at the resurrection. <clears throat> now, she was a good fundamentalist. It wasn't doing her much good. Not on this occasion. Jesus said, the resurrection is not a doctrine to start with. I am the resurrection. He's standing right here beside you. That's what makes the difference when it lives, when it becomes a living thing. Look who's there. 
And then Jesus said, roll the stone away. And Martha spoke up again. I've been dead several days. To roll that stone away to create a very unpleasant situation. But that's orders from the Most High. And she was right. He had been dead several days. And it would have created ordinarily an unpleasant situation. Right in the facts. Wrong in the conclusion. But look who's there. Jesus was ready to speak immediately to the dead. And Jesus could always get through to dead people. Come on out, Lazarus, and little maid arise, and young man get up. You can't find how to conduct funerals in the gospel. Jesus didn't have any funerals. He had resurrections. So it goes all the way through the book. Look who's here, and he makes the difference. Jesus was taking a nap in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And a storm came up. And they forgot that the Son of God, they'd been calling Him that, but they'd forgotten who was asleep back there. And they thought, we're all going down. Carry us down, not that we perish. And Jesus arose and said, be still. And the water subsided until it looked like a mirror across the face that lake. I was in a conference some time ago with uh, Dr. Clyde Francisco of one of our seminaries, and he said something that made me so happy to know it. I had known it and didn't know it, really. I started down the street after the service, one foot saying amen, the other hallelujah, all the way down the street. He said, the first Adam was given dominion over the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea. But he did not have dominion over two things, wind and water. Now you can use them, but man does not yet have dominion over them. But he said on this occasion, the wind and the water got together and stirred up a storm. And it looked pretty scary. But in that boat, what the first Adam couldn't do, the last Adam could do because the last Adam was in the boat. And when he spoke, the wind and the water decided they'd better get quiet. Oh, that did me so much good when you get in a storm. Please remember, don't get frantic about it. The Son of God's with you. He can take care of any storm. Look who's here. And then one day they had a crowd and nothing to eat. Jesus said, how are we going to feed this crowd? And Philip got out his little notebook and started figuring. Mm-hmm. 200 penny worth of bread. No, that wouldn't do it. Doesn't that remind you of the chairman of the finance committee? <laughs> you got one in your church. Always figuring, computerizing what it's going to take. And I think Jesus must have felt like saying to Philip, Philip, I don't need a budget. I need a boy. Give me a boy with a fish burger and I'll feed this whole crowd. And that's what happened. Look who's here. No problem ever stumped him. And today in all our churches we're saying, what will we do now? All this, uh, whatever it is that we're going through today, uh, we're, we need a bigger budget. We wanted to build and we don't have the money and what are we going to do? 200 penny worth of bread? No, no, no. But I'm so glad that the chief concern is give me somebody who will give me such as he has, all he has, and the best he has. We'll do a miracle. We need budgets, of course. You have to have a budget. You have to have computers and all the rest of it. But 
The crying need today is for boys and girls surrendered to God. Loaves and fishes may not be much, but little is much when God's in it. That's the need of the hour. And after the resurrection, Jesus stood on the shore. Have you thought over why did Jesus do such homely, little simple things after the resurrection? Didn't do any big dazzling thing. You'd have thought that after he came out of the grave, he'd have gone to Rome and Athens and Alexandria and said, Look, I died and I'm living again. That would have been the first of that kind. But instead, he comforted a poor weeping woman by a sepulchre. Had supper with some discouraged disciples. And told some disciples how to catch fish. And that makes me believe that my risen Lord is interested in the little things that we do. He's concerned for the commonest affairs of your daily life today. It doesn't have to be some amazing thing. He wants to walk with you all the time. They'd fished all night and hadn't caught a thing. That's one fish tale, I believe. They hadn't caught anything. Somebody said the only time a fisherman ever tells the truth is when he calls another fisherman a liar. Well, <laughs> I think this time they were telling, we haven't got a thing. That was a predicament. But Jesus Christ is equal to any predicament. And then the Emmaus disciples were walking down the road, discouraged. We trusted, past tense. Look, they, their faith was gone. Uh, this is Luke 24, 21. We trusted, we did trust, that he was the one who should uh, redeem Israel. And besides, this is the third day since he's put away. Well, since it was the third day, why in this world were they going down the road looking so miserable? Because if it was the third day, you're likely to see him around the corner anywhere. As a matter of fact, he's walking right beside you. And we're so prone to figure the wrong way, and they did too. This is the day. This is it. They should have gone down the road ecstatic, looking for him every direction, or taking inventory of who walked beside them. But my friends, we live in a glass house. We don't have any right to throw stones at these souls. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There it is. What would happen average prayer meeting night in any church? If we ever took it seriously. We might not get home till next morning. Yeah, you younger folks never heard him, but Billy Sunday could take off on the midweek prayer meeting. He called it the W-E-A-K-L-Y, weekly prayer meeting. Says start 15 minutes late to begin with. Can't find anybody to play the piano. Finally, some sister feels moved upon to play the piano. Then they spend about 10 minutes looking for a song and fixing the bench. And they all take off on throughout the lifeline, haven't got strength enough to put up a clothesline. <laughs> and then the leader gets up and says, friends, I'm sorry, but I didn't have time to prepare anything. So they didn't need to say that. You could have told you hadn't prepared anything. Then they all stood up and sang, day is dying in the West. So that's not the only thing dying around that part of the country. Well, of course, only Billy Sunday could do that and say it as he did. But when I go to some meetings when the attendance is a little skimpy, <clears throat> and some deacons start saying, Well, Lord, you know what you said, <clears throat> where two or three are gathered. I'm there, and thank God for that verse, but I somehow have a feeling that the poor fellow is more conscious of the absence of the people than he is of the presence of the Lord. 
I haven't asked God to be with us in the service in 25 years. Why? Not because he's there. Now, I suppose they mean make us aware of thy presence. Make us conscious of thy presence, and that's a different matter altogether. If you ask me what our biggest problem is today in our own lives and in our churches, we do not have a sense of God. Now, I've heard everything else blamed, but this is it. We're not aware of God. Evan Roberts was used so mightily of God in the Welsh Revival, that little fellow from out of the coal mines. What a revival that was. They didn't have any of the things that you think you have to have to have a revival. They didn't have any choir. It was all choir. No songbooks. Didn't take up offerings. Didn't advertise. It was its own publicity. Didn't have any big preachers. Campbell Morgan came and sat back in the crowd. Gypsy Smith sat back in the crowd. General Booth of the Salvation Army visited and sat back in the crowd. And this little fellow, Evan Roberts, who hadn't been anywhere to learn how to preach, and didn't really preach, and only preached for two or three years, and then lived to be an old man, never preached again. I said strange, strange things indeed, but one night the people were there in great numbers because they had got to where they wanted to go to hear Evan Roberts, and he knew that wouldn't do. And so that night he walked out on the platform and said, Do you believe where two or three are gathered in his name is there? Amen! Do you believe he's here tonight? Hallelujah! In that case, he said, you do not need me. And he put on his hat and coat and walked out to illustrate dramatically. You've got what you need. You don't have to wait for some preacher to show up in the pulpit. He's here already. And I wonder maybe in all our denominations today, after we get through with all our tricks, packing the pew and banana bunches and pin the tail on the donkey and talking horses and karate experts and theatrical personalities and expos and explos and extravaganzas. Maybe when we're all tuckered out. Say, Lord, we don't know what to do. Maybe God say, if you fellas roll through, I'm coming down. <laughs> then I think glory will crown the mercy seat. And the thing will happen that they've been trying to make happen with buildings and buses and budgets and all the rest of it. We've already got what we need. Look who's here. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. How much more do you need? All things delivered unto me and my Father. What other things do you need? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much more do you need? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How much more of it do you need? He's got it all. And the great danger today is that we have settled for less. We are the people of God's presence. Moses said in Exodus 33, How will it be known that we are thy people except in that thou goest with us? That's what makes a church a church. That's what makes us different from everybody else on earth. We're the people, not only the people of God, but the people of the purpose of God. We are His people. And of the presence of God, it's His being with us. That, that's the hallmark. And sometimes you don't get anywhere near realizing that in church on Sunday. I'm in a different church nearly every week. And sometimes I start out to the pulpit and here comes the choir and sometimes they're giggling and laughing and carrying on and I feel like, Lord, help us. 
What are we going to do? And then a voice speaks to my own soul and says, how about you? How many times have you gone into the pulpit <clears throat> casually as though it were just another chore, just another job to be done? And the Lord has taught my soul this one thing, and some of you will be standing in pulpits. Don't ever go into it without going as though it were the first time, fresh, anointed, freshly anointed, as though it could be the best time you ever had in a pulpit, the greatest day you ever had. Look for the best to happen. And as though it might be the last time. Now I'll guarantee you any preacher that will go in a pulpit on those three counts, something's going to happen. As though it were the first. Keep fresh and new about it. And look for things to happen. Some time ago they had a drought out in the Middle West and they finally got together to pray for rain. The church, one old unbeliever was there. <laughs> and after they prayed and prayed, he looked around and said, I don't see any umbrellas. said, if you were expecting rain, where are the umbrellas? He said, a mouthful. We pray for rain and don't take our umbrellas. We're not looking for anything to happen much. But God has said, when you mean business, I'll show up. Do I speak to somebody here this morning? What's, uh, what do I like? The other day, a very fine man, a minister of education in a great church, and he loves the church. Worked hard there for years and years. We were talking, and he, uh, that church has much to commend it. But he, all of a sudden, he said, but, we lack something. He said it must be the Holy Spirit. Well, thank God he knew that, he, that they lacked something. And you'd think they had everything. I know that, church. Maybe you think you've got it all. One thing thou lackest. What lack I yet? What a text. One thing thou lackest. You need a sense of God. But folks don't get through to an experience of God like that without being in holy desperation. Have you noticed that everyone in the New Testament that got a blessing from Jesus was desperate? They didn't have any take it or leave it crowd among them. Or all through the Bible, Daniel, the Hebrew children, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Mary and Martha, Jairus, the disciples in the storm, the multitude no food, Jacob at Jabbok, Moses at the Red Sea, David and Goliath, the four lepers in the gate of Samaria, Bartimaeus, the Syrophoenician woman, except one chap who was the rich young ruler. He didn't need anything. He had it all, and he had nothing. If he'd have been desperate, he'd have sold out. When you get desperate with God, you will sell out. You'll do what he wants you to do. And things will happen. God is still in the wonderful business of working miracles. I'm afraid we're going to let extremism today and some things today going on scare us away from the genuine. We've got people today, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. Well, I don't either with some of those things. But you can be so scared you'll get out on a limb, you never get up the tree. 
And you need to go out for what we ought to have. I don't use the terminology some people do about being filled with the Spirit, but we ought to be filled with the Spirit. I don't call it a second blessing. Old Bud Robertson did, and I'm in favor of people who preach like old Bud Robertson could. Somebody told him, said, Bud, why, I've had the third blessing and the fifth blessing and the fortieth blessing and the hundredth blessing. He said, well, if you've had that many, you ought to mind me having just two. <laughs> so I'm not going to get in an argument about all this, but let's have what there is for us. <clears throat> And that's a good thing to pray for today. Sometimes God heals people today there again. I think there's a lot of excess in it today in the parading of some of this. I wish I could believe that everybody I'm hearing that's getting healed, I wish I could believe they were healed. But the danger is that there's some people who might be healed. You have not because you ask not. I sat in Billy Graham's home and heard Dr. Bell, his father-in-law, tell about the healing of uh, his other daughter, Rosa Bell Montgomery, dying in a hospital in Albuquerque, dying of tuberculosis, nearly gone. And she was bitter in spirit. She had never married. She was out of fix everywhere. And as she lay there, she got right with God. And then she said, maybe God would heal me. She told in a few friends, and they had just a little prayer meeting. And the doctor called up Dr. Bell and said, what are we going to do about this? Long distance. Dr. Bell said, if that's what she wants, we will abide by her wishes. She got well. She married. Catherine Marshall has a whole chapter in one of her books about that. She interviewed her. That doesn't happen every time. God didn't heal my Sarah. We prayed and we prayed. And I hoped, and one day in my daily light, I came across this sickness is not unto death, but that God may be glorified. And I told my pastor, maybe God's going to take us up on that. But he didn't. She died at 2.15 on Sunday morning, I preached at 11. I didn't know whether I could or not, <clears throat> but I did. And I preached about the forgotten beatitude. You know all the others, but nobody ever knows this one. <clears throat> it's right in there. When John the Baptist sent his delegation to Jesus, art thou he who should come, or do we look for another? That was a low mark for John the Baptist, the man who had stood on Jordan. Look who's here! <clears throat> But Jesus didn't bowl him out. On the same day that John the Baptist said the worst thing he ever said about Jesus, Jesus said the best thing he ever said about John the Baptist. Nobody, nobody born of women greater said, go tell him I'm running on schedule. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the lepers are being cleansed. <clears throat> then he added this, and blessed is he Whosoever shall not be offended in me. <clears throat> Go home and get out your Bible and make a red ring around that. Blessed is the man or a woman who never 
gets upset by the way I run my business. God may run his business in your case sometime the way you think, Lord, how this doesn't add up. And then you get upset. And I said, Lord, I don't understand it. We were having such a great time going all over the country. It meant so much. But you know what you're doing. You're going to face a lot of things that you just can't take unless you've got an answer ahead of time. And that's where your praying comes in. And remember that he's with you whenever and wherever that may be. I am so concerned today that we give people the impression that we're in God's business and that God is with us in the business. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. He's in it too. And if we can ever get that across, I don't mean by some queer process, but by a simple manifestation that Jesus is with that person. Like the Shunammite woman said about Elisha, I perceive that this is a holy man of God who passeth by us continually. I want to live that way. When I had a little country store, uh, uh, church, and uh, the manager of the country store down the road where I walked so much, said to me one day, said, Brother Havner, sometimes when I'm feeling mighty low, I see you coming down the road, and it helps. And I said, Dear Lord, help me to make my way through this world so that the folks along my beat, and I have to say, it helped when you went by. They said in Boston, it was a dark morning in Boston till Phillips Brooks walked down the street and things got brighter. So, we're... We're one man and one woman advertisements, play cards of the Lord Jesus. And look who's with you. And as you pray today, you are not praying to some distant deity. You are praying to somebody who's with you in the very meeting. And only God knows what can come of the meeting and things that come out of the meeting. Our Father... It's one thing to talk about it, and it's another thing to hear about it, and here we all are, and now what are we going to do about it? There are no doubt, Lord, you can't get this many people together without some dear hearts out here who have desperate problems. Desperate decisions that have to be made. And they don't know what to do. Lord, you've told us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. And then it says right away, Lord, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth, like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Help us when we pray for wisdom or whatever else it is, 
to believe that if we're right with God and all things been laid out before him, we're not holding back anything, got no fingers crossed, no hand behind our back, everything's above board, and we are sold out to Jesus, we mean business, and Lord, that doesn't mean sinless perfection, but you know and we know what that means. Help us, help somebody here today when they have done all that and have drenched the altar, as it were, with 12 barrels of water, Lord, I know I can't do any of this. Fire from heaven must do it. Then help us to ask for the wisdom we need and then get up and believe we've got it. We lie to thee in prayer if we don't rely on thee after prayer. And you made it plain whatsoever things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Well, what does that mean, Lord? Believe you've got it and you'll get it. That doesn't make good grammar, no, but it makes a good spiritual experience from God. And you said it. So help us, whatever the problem may be, to remember there's one there and the Holy Spirit is praying for us and with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And we're expecting something and someone. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.